0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: My great pleasure to introduce Lee from Nashville. Thanks, Brian. Um, I heard somebody say once it was great to be introduced after spending a lifetime of being explained and <laughs> and I, uh, I i feel uh, I feel really honored to be here and i I really appreciate the invitation to come and uh I think about the uh, uh, the topic of making fundamental changes and that's a um I, you know that's just a really a neat neat topic we've talked about it off and on on the phone and I, uh, I I really think that that's what it's about. And uh, um, you know, I am a sexaholic, but I am also an all-purpose addict. Um, anything worth doing is worth overdoing, and uh, I have uh, I have spent my life uh, uh, striving for some sort of either abstinence or moderation or both. Um, how does one make fundamental changes? Well, I think that uh, to start off, for me. Um, it's real important uh, to realize that, that the, that's the basis of this whole program. And uh, just before I was coming up, I I got out the big book here, the AA big book, and I looked up something that uh, is an important part of this for me. It's on page 25, and it says there is a solution, and uh, on what this is the solution. Because the great fact is this, is just this and nothing less, that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences, which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. And that revolutionary change, I think, is what I uh, I consider uh, part of a fundamental change. And and for me, that was a pretty significant uh, change. I mean, I started my uh, sexaholic career when I was five years old. And, uh, with, with acting out rituals that, uh, that's quickly progressed. Uh, and by the time I was 13, I was combining my sexual acting out with chemical use, uh, in some rather, uh, dangerous scenarios. And by the time I was 14, I almost, uh, killed myself, uh, for the first time, uh, by, uh, uh just about setting the house on fire when I was unconscious. Uh, so that the the, uh, uh, the severity of this problem for me has been uh, has been really really something that I uh, take seriously. So by the time I was 36, um, I had uh, had a long and illustrious career and a lots of compulsions, uh, and in the meantime, I had managed to make it through medical school, and had uh, gone into the practice of medicine. And so I had unlimited supplies of top-quality drugs that I could combine with my uh, sexual acting out. Uh, and uh, and they were always together. Um, I never, uh, never used drugs without sexually acting out. Uh, I did sexually act out without using drugs when they weren't available, but um, uh, most of the time they went together. And by that, uh, by the time I was 36 years old, I had degenerated into intravenous drug use, uh, and had uh, uh, had had gone down to where I was actually injecting IV cough syrup uh, while I was um, uh, acting out. And uh, and further than that, um, uh, as part of my AA and SA story, I can remember that one of my last binges was uh uh of both was uh actually trying to start a vodka drip into my own veins and, and that's a that's a long and detailed war story which i won't go into but needless to say it was unsuccessful and uh, i uh uh wound up uh coming into treatment uh uh for that right after that and that was um that was in nineteen eighty five uh, and uh, I finally made it to A and D treatment uh, on January 3rd of 1986, um, which started the uh, uh, the 12 step recovery process. I actually stopped sexually acting out in 1985 in November uh, by the use of um, uh, Depo Provera, which is a chemical that makes it impossible to uh, to act out. Um, at this point, I have had over twelve years of continuous recovery uh from uh sexual addiction and chemical dependency and uh over eleven years of continuous recovery from uh, food addiction uh and I'm qualified for many others that uh I haven't even counted and we were talking last night about uh uh establishing the program of on and on and on uh <laughs> which is uh <laughs> This is the one that I probably am, should be a charter member of. But the, the, the fact is the fact that I have uh, been given the gift of continuous recovery for that length of time from the bottom that I reached, for me, is a revolutionary change. Uh, it is a fundamental change. And for that, I want to be grateful. Uh, I want to acknowledge that. And I think that, as we talk about fundamental changes, all of us in this room ought to be aware that by the simple fact that we are here, we have made a fundamental shift, and we've made a fundamental change, and that it's not much more complicated than that. Uh, the uh, the The real trick for me has been to make the fundamental change and to decide, what I need to do in order to keep from lapsing back into my old behaviors, and that's the uh, uh, that's where I would like to go from here. I mean, you know, making the fundamental shift of, of don't use, come to meetings, and uh, uh, do the basics is uh, is where this starts. And for me, the rest of the steps have been about trying to make fundamental shifts in uh, who I am and how I behave. Um, so, uh, just to tell you a little bit about my journey there, uh, back in 1989, after three and a half years of chemical dependency recovery, I had, um, uh, over two and a half years of uh, food recovery, and I was, I was clean, sober, abstinent, uh, and I felt I had it together. However, uh, as I was going through my, uh, Uh, you know, continuous analysis of how I was and how I felt. I realized that there was there was a little bit of chink in that. And that I, uh, my day would go something like this: is is that I'm always an early morning person. I have been all my life. But at that time, I was getting up at five o'clock. I was jumping up out of bed. I would race into the kitchen, and I would have to start making my breakfast. So I was going to make tea, and I would have to be sure that, well, I really didn't want to wait long enough for cold water to boil, so I'd get it hot first. Now, in the meantime, my hot water tank is a long ways from the kitchen, so it was going to take it a while, and so while the water was running, I would get racing in there and I would try to fix all my cereal fruit and get it all on the table by the time it got hot. Then I would get the hot water in the kettle. And I would put it on the kettle and I would run into the, uh, bathroom and I would try to shave before it whistled. And I would say, shave and I would have, and I would all of a sudden I would start bleeding, I'd rip myself to shreds. I'd run in there and I would pour the tea and I would mix it up and I'd go sit down in the living room with my seven meditation books and get calm. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then I would get up, I would go look down my breakfast, Go out, get into the car, which I had backed into the garage for a quick getaway. Uh, <laughs> Start it up, race out, get to my office, you know, going to see lots of patients all day long, so I gotta get, gotta get finished by five o'clock to get my five o'clock meeting. So I went, go out, sit down at five o'clock meeting, get calm. Get up, go home, time to eat supper, eat an afternoon minute supper, think, oops, gotta call my sponsor, make all my phone calls, look and say, ooh, wow, it's getting late. Uh, I'm never going to make it up in the morning. So, uh, boy, but I'm not going to have time to do this. So I start getting out my cereal bags the night before now and setting up my P.K. Then I run in there and I jump in the bed and I sleep fast. And then I get up in the morning and I do it again. And in a moment of clarity, I said, something's wrong with this picture. This is not happy, joyous, and free. And... um uh, so I went to my doctor, and I, who happened to be in recovery, and I said, "What's wrong with this picture?" And he says, "Well, he says I think it's time to do some more work." And uh, and that that was the beginning of my uh, self destruct self defeating behavior journey, as it started with attacking the busyness compulsion. And uh, I actually went to an intensive program to do some uh, ent- experiential type of work, which I had a lot of. Uh, uh, feelings about, and I said, you yeah, know, well, I don't know what all that. But any rate, I went, and uh, as I went, I found out that it was another way of looking at the steps. It was another way for me to move the uh, process of doing the steps from my head uh, down into my heart and feelings, and, uh, and it actually gave me a chance to... Uh, make some fundamental shifts in how I felt and how I approached my life. Uh and I you know, I don't know that there's any way that anybody needs to do that, especially. I think that making that shift is an important part for me to make fundamental changes in how I live my life so that I don't continue the self defeating behaviors. Because if I'd have kept doing that dizziness routine, that was going to be sooner or later, I wouldn't have been able to cope it very much very longer and I would have used again. I mean that's there's no doubt in my mind. So as part of that, um, as part of that treatment experience, we we're given an aftercare plan, uh, and one of the challenges of that aftercare care plan has been something that's evolved over the last nine years uh, to where to what I want to talk about here uh, in in uh, the main part, and that is, they said, go home and write a positive fourth step, and I said, oh. You know, here I swallow. Here's the guy that shame. I have a great deal of experience at beating up on myself and telling you how sick I am, how defective I am, and how bad I am. And the challenge was, it was to go home and write some good stuff about you and make a positive inventory. I said I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't think of one thing. Uh, so I kept doing it, um, and uh, finally I decided I'd write one word a day. Uh, and I did. I would sit down and I wrote one word about myself that was positive. And so at the end of 30 days or so, I had come up with a nice list of things, which were generally true sometimes. And uh, I thought, well, that's okay. And uh, so I I didn't bring that with me, but I wrote down some of them <clears throat> on the plane coming out here. And uh, uh, about 15 of them. And uh, there are some things that I see. I am uh, uh, passionate. I have a lot of positive energy. I am a careful person. I'm insightful. I am generous as a healer and a caregiver. I have some tenacity, perseverance, and dedication. I'm loyal, committed, productive, industrious, confident, uh, fun-loving and relaxed, uh, assertive, I am a good organizer and protector. I'm spiritually disciplined, and I have a fair amount of acceptance most of the time. Um, But if I looked at that, those are actually mirror images of many of my other sentiments. My carefulness can be fear. My insightfulness can be hypervigilance, victimization, self-pity, or judgmental nature. My generosity as a caregiver can make me a caretaker. My tenacity and perseverance and dedication can be my stubbornness. Uh, my loyalty and commitment can be my enmeshment. Uh, my productivity can be my workaholism. My industriousness can be my compulsive busyness. My confidence can be arrogant. Uh, being fun, loving, and relaxed can also be slothfulness and laziness. Being assertive can be anger. Being an organizer uh, and a protector can be a controller. And being spiritually disciplined uh, can be those compulsive rituals, like those seven meditation books. And acceptance, uh, when it's overdone, can be resignation and despair. So, what it actually means is I can work back from the other way, is, is when I find that I'm in one of my character defects, I can say, okay, this can be converted into something positive. And so, one of the things that I try to do in making a fundamental change is to recognize that each each character defect I have has a mirror image, which makes it uh, a possible positive uh, experience. Over the over the years that followed, that I uh, I slowly evolved something and listened to lots of uh, uh, other materials from outside people, and one of the things that that was been very important for me and I'd like to at least throw it out as a possible method uh, or tool for making uh, fundamental change and that is that I took some of that fourth step, positive fourth step and converted it to uh, a concise, usable and uh, uh, portable mission statement about my life and who I am and where I'm going. So that my personal mission statement uh, got converted and condensed down, so that now I generally try to carry that with me, such as, um, you know, one of the things that is important to me is to live life. I think that's the, uh, that's, the, that's the basis of spirituality. So that my personal mission statement says that I'm to live life to its fullest in all my roles as a human being, A healer, a husband, a student, a teacher, and a friend. And that goes from the most general to some of the most specific roles. And as I remember who I am and what my purpose in life is, then I'm more likely to live in the fundamental changes that have started. As I go on, I find that life is really one continuous psychodrama of potential change. If I if I look at it in that respect, I was, uh, and I'll close with this one story, is that when I was um, uh, growing up and throughout most of my life, one of the things I have been is emotionally and physically unavailable uh, for people around me. I was not touchable. I was not able to be affectionate. I was not able to express that. I ate breakfast with my grandmother who lived next door to me all the times of my life from the time I was four years old until I was 21 and got married. She was a very dear part of my life, uh, and uh, actually kind of a third parent. Uh, but I was never able to, I was never able to let her touch me or hug me and I never told her until the time she died that I loved her. And, uh, and that was just a symbol. Of the things that I had in my life that were, uh, defects of mine. Well, here years and years later, after her death, I get a, um, a lady from out in the country as a patient of mine. Looks just like my grandmother. Acts like her. Spicy little old lady. And I took care of her for about 15 years and she would bring me jelly from her backyard and it was just, it got to be quite a relationship. And, uh, Long about the time she was 85, I, I got a call from the emergency room, and they told me that uh, that Miss Cloudy was in the emergency room. And she was real sick, and I knew that she was going to die. Uh, and I went down to be with her in the emergency room, and then up followed her up to the floor. And she was laying there, and she was still feisty. She was still awake. She didn't have any blood pressure. She was short of breath, and uh, and she was. Looking at her said, Well, give me some air. And I said, You've got fans blowing. You've got fans around here. And she says, Well, turn them on. And, I, you know, I said, Boy, this is my grandmother all over again. And, uh, she looked up at me, uh, and, and I don't know, I've, I've seen people, uh, go out of this world a lot, and I knew it was just about to come. And she looked me right in the face, and she said, I need a big old hug. And, uh, I was able to bend down, uh, put my arms around her, and connect up with the entire wholeness of my life all the way back to childhood and the grandmother that I never hugged. And uh, and that has been one of the most profound memories of my recovery. It happened not in a therapy group, not in a meeting, not in talking to my sponsor, and not in... Um, uh, reading any literature. It happened because I had tried to internalize the steps, internalize my mission statement, and internalize my fundamental changes. And I think that's possible if we if we do what it says and try to practice the principles in all our affairs because then life becomes a continuing psychodrama of progressive enlightenment, uh, progressive change, and a continuous uh, deep and effective spiritual experience. Thank you.